Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 6 Welcoming Committee Through the store's windows, Tim Feely watched the fire engine bear down on a charred green Prius. A converted stood behind the car, shooting a shotgun as fast as he could pump and pull the trigger. Tim didn't know dick about guns, but that wasn't going to do a damn thing. The man seemed to figure that out at the last second. He turned to run, but he'd waited too long. The truck smashed into the Prius, launching it three feet off the ground and spinning it like a cardboard coaster. The rear end hit the man and sent him flying, a rag doll that sailed through the air and hit the sidewalk in front of Barney's New York, splashing a spray of blood against the floor-to-ceiling windows. The truck was so close that Tim could see Bosch's smiling face inside the cracked, blood-flecked, bullet-ridden windshield. The truck's grill had once been polished chrome. Now it was twisted and bent, with a severed right arm dangling from the left side. The obnoxiously huge front bumper was scratched and dented, wet with blood, streaked with a dozen colors from its vehicular victims. Bosch locked up the brakes. The wheels skidded through snow, kicking up sprays of dirty white. He swerved left as he entered the intersection, then curved sharply right. The truck slid to a stop, its left side just ten feet from the store's revolving front door. Roth handed his rifle to Ramirez, who held it along with his shotgun. Roth scooped Ramirez up. Feely, Cooper, let's move! Roth pushed through the rotating door. Cooper hobbled forward so fast he was in the next divider behind Roth. Tim heard gunfire. His legs wouldn't move. He couldn't do it. He couldn't. I'm a warrior. I am a warrior. The thought seemed to lift him and throw him at the still-spinning door. He hit it on the run, shoulders smacking against the glass. He stumbled out into the wind-blown chaos. He faced the engine's left side. So many bullet holes. How is the thing still running? Klimas stood in the truck's bed, aiming his pistol and firing, making each shot count. Beyond the fire engine, maybe a block down oak, Tim saw a wave of people and monsters closing in. Cooper turned right, started firing. Roth opened the rear passenger door and set Ramirez inside. He grabbed his big Scar-FN rifle, leaving the wounded seal with the black shotgun. Tim stumbled forward, looked left, right, looked across the street. They were coming from everywhere. Hatchlings, people with blades and guns and clubs. He was going to die. A woman sprinted toward him, the butcher knife in her hand raised high. Tim pulled the M4 stock tight to his shoulder, just as Ramirez had told him to do. He squeezed the trigger. The recoil turned him a little. He hadn't expected that much. The woman fell to the ground, her hands clutching at her stomach. A screaming teenage boy with a shotgun. The shotgun roared. Nothing hit Tim. The boy pumped in another round, but before he could shoot again, Tim aimed and fired. The bullet slammed into the boy's chest. He staggered back, dropped. Klimas screaming, Get in! Get in! Cooper running for the truck. Roth, 
climbing into the back even as he fired short bursts down Oak at the onrushing horde. A roar from Tim's right. He turned to see a nightmare, a huge thing that had once been a woman. She wore the tattered remains of a blue sequined evening dress, yellow skin pockmarked with sores, too wide neck, long pointed shards of bones sticking out the back of her wrists like a pair of chipped white swords. He couldn't move. His body wouldn't react. The monster roared again. Her bone blades reached out for him. Clarence Otto walked out of the store's rotating door, his right arm level and steady, his pistol firing so fast. Pop, 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 pop! The woman monster flinched, turned away. He fired three more times into her back. She dropped face first onto the snow-covered street. Clarence grabbed Tim's shoulder. Move, dummy, he said, and pushed him toward the truck. Tim's paralysis broke. He ran for the rear driver's side door. A hatchling crawling out from underneath the truck. Tim launched himself, raised both feet in the air and landed as hard as he could, smashing the pyramid body. Globs of purple guts splashed out against the trampled white snow. Tim reached for the door. Feely, up here! Klimas, yelling down at him. The seal pointed to the water cannon mounted behind the cab. You're on that! Move! Hands grabbed Tim from behind and threw him over the bullet-ridden equipment boxes. He landed hard on top of canvas hoses. Tim scrambled to his hands and knees in time to see Clarence Otto hop onto the truck's rear bumper. Klimas pounded on the cab's hood three times. The big diesel gurgled, and they started to roll. Chapter 7 Time to Fly the SH-60 Seahawk pilot eased his helicopter off the Coronado's deck. He was a good mile away from the shoreline, probably safe from any stinger the converted might launch, if the converted could spot the Seahawk at all from that distance. The Hawk headed north, over open water, following the Apache attack helicopter that had lifted off a few moments before. The two aircraft would fly well past the LZ, cut west over the shore, then fly south so they could approach the LZ from the north. IFF picked up another friendly aircraft in the area, an AC-130 gunship. That baby brought serious firepower. The SH-60 pilot hoped the survivors could make it to the extraction point. If any bad guys followed, the AC-130 would make a wonderful mess of them. Chapter 8 Hell's Angels Steve Stanton rode on the back of a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. He wore an American flag helmet, which he thought was pretty damn awesome. In front of him, driving the bike, was the wide bulk of Jeff Brockman. Steve had duct-taped a map of Chicago to his back. Jeff didn't wear a helmet, because there probably wasn't a helmet in the world that would fit him. His bone knives pointed straight ahead, parallel to the snow-covered road. Two more motorcycles, another Harley and a crotch rocket, were driving on their right, and a BMW was on their left. A bull drove each of those bikes. Behind each bull, a man with a machine gun. The biker gang, Steve couldn't help but think of it as a biker gang, rolled south on Lakeview Avenue. They drove fast where they could, but had to slow frequently in order to maneuver around the cars that choked the road. This time, Steve would take care of things personally. He'd find Cooper and shoot him dead. If Steve could get Cooper alone and unarmed, he would have Jeff kill him slowly, maybe use those bone blades to skin Cooper alive. 
Spotters reported that the fire engine, a frickin' fire engine of all things, was heading north on State Parkway. The humans were smart. They wanted to get away from downtown. They must have guessed correctly that Steve had concentrated his remaining stingers there. The humans wanted to get somewhere a helicopter could safely pick them up. Steve had sent more motorcycles to gather up the remaining stingers and bring them north, but he didn't know where those helicopters would land. Or did he? He looked at the map. The humans were driving north. They would want an open, flat place with no tall buildings. Steve's fingertip traced the roads. There, Lincoln Park, just south of where he was now. Considering the abandoned cars blocking the streets, it would take the fire engine about five minutes to reach that location. Steve's biker gang could be there in four. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Chapter 9. On the Road Clarence Otto was soaking wet. Tim Feely had yet to master the water cannon. He'd mishandled it twice, the errant full-force blasts almost knocking Clarence off the truck to land at the feet of the pursuing horde. The big vehicle smashed its way north. The road had narrowed. Not as many tall buildings here, far more three-, four-, and five-story constructs. Snow-covered bare trees lined the sidewalks. It couldn't be far now. Maybe four more long blocks to go. Clarence returned fire as best he could. He had only three rounds left in his Glock. Sub-zero temperatures and wet clothes made his body shake so bad he could barely aim. Margaret's blood is in that water. He felt she was with him again. Not the husk he'd killed in the store, but the Margaret of five years ago. His wife. His love. They were fighting this nightmare together. 
Roth was down. A bullet had shattered his right collarbone. He lay there on the ruined hoses, his body tossed left and right by the endless collisions. No one had time to help him. Klimas had Roth's Scar FN rifle, was firing single shots to the right side. Cooper Mitchell knelt on the hoses, taking careful aim to the left. He was laughing. He sounded just as insane as the crazies running after the fire truck. <laughs> you want some? He said, pulling the trigger. He looked at a new target. Oh, you want some too? Klimas had ordered Clarence to cover the rear. With the way Engine 98 swerved and slammed and smashed, anything beyond the 10-yard range was an impossible shot. Constant obstacles kept the truck from outrunning the wave of pursuers. Bosch avoided what he could, but for the most part he just plowed through anything that was in the way. The muscle monsters were faster than the people, faster than the hatchlings. Four of them had pulled ahead of their fellow converted and were only 10 or 15 feet behind the truck. If Bosch slowed down, even for a few seconds, the yellow-skinned beasts would jump right into the back. Clarence aimed carefully, trying to gauge the engine's continuous impacts. He fired at the lead muscle monster. It twisted a little to the right, blood visible on its chest, but it kept coming. Clarence aimed lower, fired again. The creature clutched its belly. It slowed, unable to keep up. Clarence aimed at the next one, fired. His slide locked back. He was out of ammo. He turned to face forward. Little Tim Feely aimed the water cannon to the right, shooting a long, spreading spray at the hatchlings, people, and muscle monsters that poured out of buildings, desperate to get at the still-accelerating fire truck. Klimas dropped, blood pouring from his knee. He reached both hands to grab it. His scar FN tumbled over the side to clatter against the snow-covered street. Roth had yet to get up. Cooper fired his Sig Sauer. His slide locked back. His weapon was also out. A hatchling scrambled over the right side and shot toward Klimas. The seal saw it coming, managed to get his hands up in time. Tentacles wrapped around arms. Clarence saw what lay on the bottom of those pyramid bodies. Thick teeth made to tear off huge chunks of flesh. Clarence reached to his belt. He gripped the handle of the knife he'd used to kill his wife. Klimas pushed the hatchling against the inside of the equipment box. Clarence drew the blade and drove it into the plasticine body. The hatchling let out a high-pitched squeal. Clarence lifted the knife and flicked the creature over the side. Klimas's knee was a bloody mess. He grimaced against the pain, but held out one bloody hand. Can I have my knife back? Clarence handed it over. He never wanted to touch the thing again. He looked forward over the truck cabin's roof. Another wave of bad guys rushed down the middle of the tree-lined street, coming head-on. Bosch floored it. Engine 98's flat face hit people so hard the cabin rattled with each impact. Bodies flew in all directions. The truck wobbled and bounced as killers of all kinds fell under the wheels, spraying blood onto the snowy street and even up onto the sidewalks. And then there were no more attackers in front. Bosch had driven through, broken free. Clarence looked out the back. Hundreds of them. No, thousands filled the street. A rushing mob straight out of a zombie flick. The closest ones weren't even 15 feet away. Tim was still aiming his spray off the right side. Clarence grabbed his shoulder. Tim yanked back on the cannon's valve handle. The spray of water quickly faded and died, dripping down onto the bed's hoses. 
His face was a sheet of blood. A round had grazed his forehead. Clarence pointed to the rear. You wanted them concentrated? Tim looked. He'd been wide-eyed the entire time, terrified of everything. But now his fear vanished. Tim Feely snarled. Come get some, he said. He pointed the chromed cannon at the chasing horde and shoved the valve handle all the way forward. A concentrated blast shot out, hit a muscle monster in the chest. Tim moved the stream side to side, knocking people down, kicking up a huge spray that soaked everyone around them. And still the mob came on. Chapter 10 Slow Ride Engine 98 slammed into something big, catching Tim unawares and smashing him into the back of the pockmarked cabin. The blow stunned him. He blinked, tried to clear his vision. When he looked up, he saw Clarence manning the water cannon. Clarence aimed high, creating a wide-spreading spray that rained down on the army of pursuers. How many had been exposed? Five hundred? More? Tim hurt so bad. Every bone, every muscle, if not from jarring impacts, then from the endless shivering. His hands were so cold he couldn't move his fingers, which were curled up as if they still gripped the water cannon's handles. Far behind, he saw some of the pursuers, soaking wet, chests heaving with big, deep breaths, giving up the chase. They would die within twenty-four hours, but not before, hopefully, exposing dozens of others. We did it, Margot. We did it. Tim looked around. Roth was moving again, struggling weakly to rise. Blood matted the right shoulder of his letterman's jacket. Just to the left, on the other side of the cannon's base, Klimas clutched at his bloody, ruined knee. And in the middle of the bed, Cooper Mitchell, standing tall and flipping a double bird at the pursuers. How's that taste, motherfuckers? Cooper grabbed his crotch and shook it. Lick it up! Lick it all up! Engine 98 lurched. A grinding noise joined the diesel's gurgle. The truck started to slow. Tim saw the street signs, state and banks. They weren't far from Lincoln Park now. Two long blocks, and they'd be on the green grass. He heard a noise up above. There, two spots far off in the sky. Helicopters? Rescue. They had done it. They were going to make it. Then he saw something else, something much closer, something hanging from a tree by its oversized yellow-skinned arms. Engine 98 drove directly underneath it. The monster let go. Chapter 11 Goodbye Paulius didn't see it drop, but he saw it land in the middle of the truck bed, almost on top of Roth. In that frozen, awful moment, Paulius noticed the monster had almost a full head of curly red hair. He wondered if the person had been Irish. A pale, sore-speckled arm stabbed down. A bone blade slid through Roth's letterman's jacket, deep into his belly. The creature lifted the 250-pound man like he was nothing. Lifted and threw. A screaming Roth sailed off the back of the truck to land hard on the pavement. Paulius gripped his knife and reactively started to get up but the agony of his ruined knee stopped him cold. The wide-headed monster turned, locked eyes with Polyus. 
rippling muscles drove its arm forward. Polyus flinched right. The tip of the bone blade slashed the side of his neck before it punched through the cab's back wall. A powerful blast of water caught the monster full in the chest and face, sent it tumbling over the equipment box. It smashed through the rear window of an Audi. Fire Engine 98 pulled away. Polyus reached up with his left hand, pressed it against the right side of his neck. He felt blood pouring down. Fifteen meters back, Roth managed to get to his knees before the horde descended upon him. A muscle monster drove a bone blade straight into his back. Polyus heard Roth's final scream. Then the man vanished beneath a swinging flurry of knives, axes, and lead pipes. The water cannon's powerful stream slowed. What had been a steady, straight blast now curved down, the landing spot quickly growing closer as the pressure faded. Shit, Clarence said. We're empty. The truck suddenly started to wobble left and right. Wobble hard. Polly's heard another new noise. Over the grinding engine, over the sound of metal scraping pavement, and over the ravaged vehicle's broken rattle each time it hit a bump. He could just make out the thumpa-thumpa of rotor blades. And also, something else, the roar of motorcycles. Chapter 12 Chicago Bulls Steve Stanton's biker gang rolled to a stop at the T-intersection of North Avenue and North State Parkway. The park, flat and green, dotted with snow-covered leafless trees, lay behind them. The wind had finally died down. It was turning into a beautiful day. There were five motorcycles now, the four he'd started with, plus one man who'd brought a Stinger missile from downtown. One block south on North Parkway, a shattered fire engine shivered its way toward them. How was that thing even moving? The windshield had so many splintered holes, it looked white rather than clear. Torn metal lined the bottom where a bumper had once been. No grill, just a squarish black hole with an oddly bent dead man jammed into it. The thing wobbled, left, right, left, right. Shredded tires flapped visibly. Steve pointed at one of his bulls. You, go kill the driver. The yellow-skinned beauty didn't ask questions. It just sprinted down the street on impossibly thick legs. Steve looked at the others. He made a cutting motion at his throat. Kill the bikes! Get that stinger ready! Let's finish this thing. The bulls did as they were told. When the last motorcycle's gurgle died away, Steve heard something else. He turned to look back. Since his conversion, he hadn't felt fear. Not once. That emotion swept over him now. Not even fifty meters away, he saw a helicopter coming in just over the park's sparse trees. He thought back to that girl in his office, the one who said the helicopters she saw looked mean. Now Steve understood what she meant. Well, shit, he said. Then he felt strong hands wrap around his waist and roughly pull him to the right. Chapter 13 The Equalizer The Apache pilot made a judgment call. Those were monsters standing at the park's edge. Genuine, straight-from-a-nightmare monsters. They were the bad guys. Ergo, anyone standing side-by-side side with monsters was a bad guy as well. Five men, five motorcycles, 
four monsters. Light him up, he told his gunner. From inside the helicopter, the Apache's M230 chain gun sounded like a staccato three-second roll on a toy snare drum. Thirty-millimeter rounds tore into flesh, metal, grass, and concrete, kicking up chunks of dirt, puffs of blood, and flashing clouds of smoke. All targets dropped. The pilot saw a monster running right, carrying a small man in his arms. The pilot started to call out the target, but one of the fallen men rose to his knees, struggled to bring a long tube up on his shoulder. Sam, the pilot said. Another three-second drum roll answered. The man didn't drop so much as he disintegrated. Sam neutralized. New target, running right, get him. Tracking, the gunner said. But it was too late. The monster dove through the window of a gothic white stone apartment building. The pilot looked down the road to the approaching fire engine. Another monster there, rushing headlong toward the battered vehicle. The creature was too close to it. Chain gun fire would also hit the truck. The Apache pilot slowed to a stop and hovered, just 30 feet above the park. Wait for targets of opportunity. Be careful, we can't hit our people. Affirmative, the gunner said. Should we elevate and hit that mob chasing them? Negative. Those assholes are already taken care of. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 